Welcome, y'all. Hey, Sherry. Hi. Oh, Sherry's in the house with her lovely husband, Sam, who has potted with me before. Hey, Sam. Hey. What are y'all drinking? Got a little banana daiquiri I'm working on here. What you got, Sherry? I got a strawberry mixed with 190. Ooh, you like the grain alcohol. Put you in the right frame of mind. There you go. What you got? As always, Craft Room Crown. <laughs> I wasn't sure how much I had left in my little bottle, so I brought my big bottle yeah, up, which was a, right. good, a good choice, right. apparently. That's dangerous Great choice. <clears throat> yeah, if anybody wants a shot, just pick up the bottle and <laughs> swig right off of it. So what y'all been doing good? Anything? Not a whole lot. No? Work. Working? Grandkids? Working grandkids, yep. You want to introduce yourself to Grits with a Side of Murder audience, Sherry? Is there anything you want to tell about yourself? I am Sherry Baker, married to Sam. We have a big family of five. Woo! Lots of grandkids. And they all wear you out, I bet. Yes. The kids and the grandkids or just all, the, of, them. all of them wear you out? <laughs> all of I hear you. I got, yeah. I just got one grandkid and when he's here, he wears me out. What about you, Sam? Anything you want to share that's been going on with you since we last potted together? Not really. Life's the same. Okay. Just doing the same old stuff. Working and living your best life, huh? That's it. That's it. I know I know yeah. y'all y'all gotta be going on a trip soon. Next oh, week. Yeah. Where y'all going? We're going to Biloxi to hear uh the Beatles. No shit. Yeah, the, they call them the Fab Four. Fab four, Fab Five. No, it's our first trip with our friends. <laughs> so it's like a Beatles tribute band? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's supposed to be really good. It's gonna be at Hard Rock. Oh, on, fun. On That's the a fifth. Yeah. Cool. So we're staying through Sunday. All right. Cool. Okay. Do y'all want to hear a story? Sure. Uh, yeah. You like true crime, Sherry? Yes. Love it. Ooh. I got one for you. Hopefully you haven't heard it before. Let's see. Robert Bob Berdella. Does that ring a bell for you? No. Okay, good. And it's been a few minutes since I did this story. So we're. I'm going to be just as surprised as what happens as y'all, because I don't have a memory. Great. So Robert Andrew Berdella Jr. was born January 31st, 1949 in Ohio. He goes by Bob. Rob, his dad was Robert Sr. Okay. He was a die setter for the Mo- Ford Motor Company. I have no idea what that is, Sam. What's a die setter? Do you know? Something to do with cars. Yeah, dies with machinery and stuff. Okay. Um, Bob's mom was Mary, and she was a homemaker. And he had a brother. He was the oldest of two boys. So that's the family. Robert Sr. was very, I don't want to say very Catholic because that doesn't, that sounds wrong. <laughs> but he was very, he, devout. yes, devout. Thank you. That was the word. And he was of Italian descent. So it was a big part of his growing up. So he always made the family, the boys go to church regularly, mass. <coughs> and I know y'all can relate to that growing up in a you know because south louisiana is very catholic and yes very catholic yes so pretty much that's their family in a nutshell but as a child bob was very smart but he was a loner and he rarely played outside and he seldom had any friends over or went to friends houses so he didn't socialize very much Mm -hmm. it almost kind of sounds like kids today always on their video games but i mean this is the 1950s, yeah, well, so I know. What was he doing? Right. Yeah. 
He was reading a book. Let's just say that. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He had a speech impediment and he wore thick glasses from the age of five because he was severely nearsighted. He also had high blood pressure when he was young. I know. And he had to take medicine for it. So you know what that stuff leads to with with other kids. I mean, they're going to bully you and pick on you, you know, especially back in that era. It's not, you know, that's not tolerated today. Mm -hmm. Which I have my own opinions on that. But anyway, so his younger brother, Daniel, was great at everything. Like he played sports. He was, you know, smart. And the dad doted on him because he played sports. And Bob didn't really find any of that. Poor Bob. I know. So it seemed like their dad was comparing them and kind of putting Bob down. instead, You know, because mm-hmm. Daniel was so good. Which I think that's terrible. It is. Just because, I mean, just because your son doesn't want to play in sports. They're just different. Yeah. Yeah. So he, also the dad physically and emotionally, emotionally abused the kids. Well, it kind of told, he also beat him with a leather strap. Again, very common in that. Exactly. (laughs) I bet you all three of us have been beat with a leather strap called a belt. Right. And a stick. Yeah. Whatever they could get their hands on. Oh, my grandma. It was five of us. Look, my grandma, If she would make me go pick my own switch. And if I didn't pick a big enough switch, she sent me the hell back out there to get another one. I tell you what, I didn't be bad whenever I was at her house. Right. All right. So when Bob reached puberty, he realized that he was homosexual. And and that's got to be hard in that era, especially because I know even today kids struggle with that right. and coming out to coming their. Out. Right. So he, of course, didn't he kept it to himself. He didn't, you know, it was a secret. Right. He wasn't open about it. But in his early teens, <clears throat> he did briefly have a girlfriend. So that was that. By his mid teens, he had begun to display a degree of self confidence, which would appear to other people as rude condescending just basically obnoxious especially toward women Mm. i don't like that no on christmas day 1965 so bob would be like 16 i guess they family the family drove to another part of ohio to visit their relatives as you do on christmas that evening his dad had a heart attack and died 39 years old on christmas day oh god he yeah, was thir- that's really tough. I mean, <laughs> Jesus, 39. Uh, so, like I said, Bob's around 16. At this point, Bob became increasingly withdrawn and further immersed in himself and solitary activities, such as not playing video games, no, painting, collecting coins, and collecting stamps. And he also was writing to foreign pen pals. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which is very, I think... um, I don't know. That's pretty advanced, I yeah. think, yeah. for back then. And back then, yeah. 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 I mean, today. And at that age. Yeah. People, today, people get on a plane and travel overseas, like, in a snap, you know. But then, that was. Yeah. All right. So, he also, around this time, started av- avidly collecting artifacts, which would later inspire him to open his own business. We'll talk about that later. But So, he's into all kinds of yeah. cultural stuff. In 1969, Bob, he was going, yep, you're right. He was going to the Kansas City Art Institute, but he quit doing that. He decided he didn't want to do it. 
But at this point, he had been openly gay. So he's come oh, to terms. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's come to terms. Out the with- closet. Yep. He let it out. <laughs> um, he began spending much of his free time with male prostitutes, drug addicts, petty criminals, and runaways. Bob told his neighbors that he almost felt like a foster parent to many of these guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Luring them in. What was you getting in exchange, Bob? Yeah. Come on, Bob. We can draw that picture. Who's he think he's fooling? <laughs> so to his neighbors, Bob was considered a flamboyant yet helpful and civil-minded individual, despite the generally messy state of his yard and house. What? Yeah, and who were these neighbors? Yeah, it doesn't sound like it goes together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're you're awesome person, but you have a hoarder. It sounds like yeah. you're hoarding shit and you're not yeah. mowing your grass. Or what are you hiding? Mm-hmm. Bob would even assist uh, in the organi- organizational activities of the South Hyde Park Crime Prevention and Neighborhood Association. He even became the chairman in the early 1980s of the Neighborhood Watch Program in their neighborhood. He was taking on a little bit of everything to cover up something. Bob's a complicated yeah. person. Well, other than these quote-unquote foster kids he was bringing in, he really didn't have any real kids, which you know, that would take up all your time. You wouldn't have no time to be volunteering and doing all this other no. shit. So. No time to leave the house. No. Yeah, real kids. So, <clears throat> Bob worked as a short-order cook, and for extra money, he bought and sold artifacts and antiques from around the world. Wow. hmm Both his career and his side business started flourishing, and by the mid-1970s, so he's around 25, he began working as a senior cook at several renowned Kansas City restaurants, and he also joined a local chef asso- chef's association. And with them, he helped establish a training program for aspiring chefs at a local community college. I mean, so far. Wow. He's real well rounded. Seems like he's growing. I mean, this dude. He's got his hands in it. It seems like, other than maybe keeping a decent house, he sounds like he's got his shit together. Yeah. Yeah. So around this time, as he's doing all this, his own business started really taking off the selling and buying all this crap. I'm going to call it crap because I feel like that's what it probably was and when would he have time you know well i mean collect the antiques where would, a chef. and maybe that's why everything was so messy maybe he was just um, buying this shit over the years and he was just stacking it in the yard yes exactly <laughs> so <laughs> as you do so he uh, by 1981 he's 32 he had established several contractual agreements with both national and international contacts you remember at 16 he was writing foreign pen pals so by 32 he's turning that into money for himself Mm. and it's got to be so good he started doing it as his full-time job and he quit chefing is chefing a word (laughs) is that is a word okay so in 1982 bob began running his own booth at the westport flea market all right (laughs) let's just talk about a flea market for just a second (laughs) yeah First of all, I love me a good flea market. That that ain't where the point's going. And you know what? You can get you some funnel cake and some damn good nachos out of flea market. The problem is, if I'm opening a business full time, I ain't starting in a flea market. Y'all with me on that? And what kind of people are going to spend 
big money on antiques at a flea market. Well, maybe in Ohio there's some kind of fancy flea market, but well, I'm, if I'm comparing it to that bullshit oh, we so. got here, yeah. you only getting t-shirts and incense. And maybe you can get your phone fixed yeah. if you got a cracked screen. But that's about, oh, and they got some, some FRC. I was going to say some FRCs and some uh, tires. But you can always roll up there and buy a camper, too, because there's always a camper yeah, for camper. sale. Oh, yeah, that's right. All right. So he began renting his own booth. Whoop, whoop. The sto- he called it Bob's, Bob. hold your breath, <laughs> Bizarre. Bizarre. Yeah, I'm not- B A Z, and then B I Z, yeah, like weird. Okay, Bob's bizarre, bizarre. He even had business cards. I'll show you one when this is over. I I got a picture of oh, one. Cool. So the income he typically generated from the flea market business wasn't always enough to make you know ends meet completely at the house. So he would take in boarders. I'm sure they were probably male prostitutes, drug yeah. addicts. Definitely, yeah. So Bob became acquainted acquainted with a fellow merchant. Is that what we're calling people who sell shit at a flea market? A merchant? Works for Bob. I mean, <laughs> so his fellow merchant operated a booth next door. His name is Paul Howell. And, you know, I'm sure you have some downtime at the flea market where you get to know your booth neighbor. And they became acquainted, acquainted and Paul brought his son up there who i at this point okay so he's about 19 his son that he brought up there paul's son jerry and i'm gonna let y'all try to guess what you think is gonna happen next he got close to the son and invited him over yep Mm -hmm. never seen again Mm -hmm. well paul's (laughs) getting in the way yeah stay with us We'll be right back. Are you a huge cunt? Us too. Wait, can we even say cunt? Of course. It's empowering these days. Cunt, 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 cunt. I'm Ange Ballastone, a.k.a. the drag queen, that girl Gina. And I'm Mike Fails, just a normal gay guy, I guess. And we're the hosts of The Big Cunty Couch, a gorgeous new talk show podcast where we invite queers and peers to sit, bitch, and be fierce on a huge-ass couch. While we gab about all things gay. So come get cozy. And cunty. With us. We're pan for platforms, so find us anywhere online and get listening, sweetie. Or watching. Or both. Otherwise, why the hell am I in full drag? And we'll see you on the big... Oh, wait. I thought we were going to say that together. No. On the big c***y couch. All right. So, Jerry Howell, the son, is 19 years old. Bob's, what did I tell y'all at this point? Like 33 something? Yes. So, according to what Bob says later on, on July 5th, 1984... He gave Jerry some alcohol, some Valium, (laughs) while they were in his car. He was giving him a ride to a dance. Jerry wanted to, okay. Uh And then he became so drowsy in the car, he got him into the house where he gave him more alcohol and Valium. And then once he was in the house, he also injected him with a heavy tranquilizer. Here we go. Before he binded him to the bed, bound him to the bed. Either way, the dude was the, the poor dude, little nineteen-year-old dude is out of it, tied to the bed. Yeah, well, he didn't want him to fall out. Oh yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Why You're didn't always think negative? End of story. Podcast over. <laughs> I know I'm so jaded. I'm always thinking the worst, worst. of people. 
So Jerry was restrained to Bob's bed for a period of approximately 28 hours. Bob repeatedly drugged, tortured, raped. Yeah, and violated him with foreign objects, repeatedly ignoring Jerry's pleas to be freed. Jesus Christ. According to Bob, again, this is later, we're finding out, he said Jerry either asphyxiated on his own vomit or the combination of the gag and the medicines were too strong for him to be able to breathe. I'm sure. So he wasn't really sure what happened to him. I don't know, man. I was just trying to take him to... Oh, and so he drags the body to the basement. Remember, he's a chef. Yes. He then suspends the body upside down over a large cooking pot. No. Left him there for like however long it takes to drain a beer of the blood. Uh, You know what I'm saying? Yes. He even, when he hung him upside down, he made several cuts like where the jugular vein and the big veins were. For it to drain. Mm Mm-hmm. After that happened, the next day... He dismembered him using a chainsaw and boning knives. Then he wrapped his body in in sections of newspaper and trash bags and just put him outside for the trash man to pick up and take to the landfield. Yeah. Jesus. Well, I got a question. Ask me. Where was Jerry's dad and all this? Didn't he live there? That's Uh, what I'm thinking. Jerry's dad was probably at the flea market selling shit and couldn't give his kid a ride to the dance. So he's like, hey, Bob, my best buddy next door, take my kid to the dance for me. Yeah. But by then he knows he never made it to the dance. Well, of course, later when police ask, he's like, I'll swim with Bob. Well, yeah, the (laughs) the first thing that Bob says I took him to the dance and I dropped him off. I don't know what happened to him after that is what he tells them. They don't have any proof Good to the different. Up. Yeah. You know, no one knows. So it took a while for him to, for Bob to strike again. April 10th, 1985. So this is about a year later. So he was successful getting rid of all of them. Yeah. Evidence. Yeah, he was. God. And I guess to me, when I read and watch these stories, I feel like if the person gets away with it at the very first time they try it, right. they're going to always get away. You know, they're going to think, think they're going to always. That they can, yeah. yes. Yep. But obviously, it. he waited a year. So maybe in the back of his mind, he was like, I got to let things cool off or whatever. So a year later, 20-year-old Robert Sheldon arrived on Bob's doorstep asking if he could stay with him for a short period of time. He had known him previously. So Robert Sheldon was, he was like, yeah, come on in. As he's walking up the stairs, bam, he drugs him with sedatives with a with a, a, a needle. Yes, thank you. I'm using my fingers like, like the people <laughs> in podcast land can see me. And... So after he drugs him, he gets him up in the bed and ties him up. He's on the second floor, and for three days, he's dragging it out longer than the first time. He endured forms of torture, such as swabbing drain cleaner in his eye. Oh, God. The insertion of needles between his fingernails. fingernails, Binding his wrist with piano wire. Jesus Filling his ears with caulk so that he could, it would reduce his hearing. Right. Yeah. That's some crazy fucking shit. That is. Bob's a sick fuck. Bob is a sick fuck. Bob is bizarre. Yeah, bizarre. Bob, bizarre Bob. So on April 15th, a workman came to perform some scheduled stuff, work on the roof of Bob's house. 
So he decided he had to kill Robert. Well, you know, he didn't want to be found out. He didn't want to hear any screaming or anything. The the worker man. So he strangles him by placing a sack over his head. Then he tightened out with a piece of rope and suffocated him. And then he later dissected his body in the ba- in the third floor bathroom. He's dragging these bodies up oh, and down. Up and down. He must be basement, pretty strong. First floor, second floor, third yeah. floor. Yeah. Because that's dead weight. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> well, I think it's yeah. like a... He's like an eagle or something. Though. I mean, the guy showed up at the doorstep and he let him in. And before he could get in the house, he had already hit him with a hypodermic. Yeah. Like, so he has those so he's prepared. Wa- he's waiting. Yeah. Yeah. He's waiting for a visitor. <laughs> and remember, if you see strange people going in and out of your neighbor's house, you're not. You're if you're his neighbors, you're thinking he's just helping somebody yeah. out. Yeah. Right. You're not going to question it. You know. Yeah. We're talking that happened in April. In June, so he's going quick now. Yeah couple months later, not a year, Bob found Mark Wallace hiding in his tool shed to seek shelter from a thunderstorm. Again, this was a guy who had been at his house before. He invited him inside and volunteered to inject him with chlorpromazine. Sorry, y'all. I'm not a medical expert. He injected him with that, and it is used to treat psychotic disorders such as schizophrenia or manic depression. Yeah, but he was like, hey, I know you're freaking because like for some reason, this guy had high anxiety and the thunderstorm was freaking him out. He's like, come inside. I'll give you an injection. Yeah, it will calm you down and then I can torture you. But he didn't tell him that part, obviously. No. So Mark Wallace is like, "Okay, great. You know, knock me out. to Trusting Bob. It's like my dog. Knock me out till the thunderstorm's over. 30 minutes later is when. Bob decided he was going to become his captive. I I personally think he decided that when he yeah. found him in the shed. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. Bob he carried Mark victim. to yes, Bob carried Mark to the second floor bedroom where he endured almost a day of captivity and torture, including. Hold on. Ap- the application of alligator clips to his nipples to facilitate electric shocks to his body. Oh. Yes. One hour after experimenting with the hypodermic needles, which he had inserted a bunch in this guy's back, he decided he was going to electric shock him and see what happened. So that's what he did. Mark Wallace died through a combination of drugs, gag, the gag he put in his mouth and lack of oxygen. And we know that he died at exactly 7 p.m. on June 23rd, 1985. Because not only is Bob a sick fuck, but he keeps a diary on every every person, everything he does to him, time of death, everything he did to them afterwards. Dude, first of all, you're a criminal, so you're probably not smart. But the worst thing you could do is write down all the shit you did. (laughs) Exactly. This is not a little, little kitty, Hello Kitty diary with the yeah. lock on it, you know? Damn. Okay. You a good one. <laughs> this one's gruesome. Yeah, it is gruesome. And everybody thinks he's good Bob old, the helper. Good old yeah. Bob. <laughs> good old Bob. Dependable Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Community-minded Bob. Oh, yeah. But, you know, he kind of set the stage with his neighbors. 
So that gave him, you know. It's like he groomed his neighbors. He did. Yeah. Yeah. And that's people. how smart these sick fucks right. are. I agree. Right. They'd go to the neighbor and they said, oh, yeah. you need to go see Bob. Yeah. They said, <laughs> yeah. All, he set all that up. I ain't helping y'all. Bob will take you in. Yeah. He even got some drugs up Bob in there. Bob got plenty room and good uh-huh. shit. <laughs> Bob got a three-story house and... Yeah, he's a chef. <laughs> and a chef. Yeah, he'll cook your yeah. favorite. He didn't know you was going to use you for, <laughs> for the for meal. meal. Titty gumbo. <laughs> Have you ever been over here whenever me and Harold are talking about the zombie apocalypse? No. Okay, so we tease about it all the time, and he's always ranking the people in our family as to who's going to go first. <laughs> Y'all didn't know that? Like, we do this all the time. We, no. So, of course, I'm going to die first. Because, you know, I can't outrun the zombies. I have no survival skills. And I said, look, y'all can make titty gumbo and y'all can make ass stew. Y'all could eat for a couple weeks off me. So no, make sure me you too. kill me before the zombies get me because then I'm spoiled meat after that. You know? All right. Back to Bob. <laughs> September 26, 1985. Bob gets a call from an acquaintance named James Ferris. He knows a whole lot of fucking people. Yeah. He asked him, hey, can I come stay at your house for a couple days? I'm down on my luck. Blah, 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 blah. He's like, sure. Come on over. He's getting really excited. Come on down. Yeah. (laughs) You're the next next contestant (laughs) on Bob Cook's People. I don't know. Meet my little friend. Yes. Syringe. Well, that's exactly what he fucking did. Actually, in this case, he crushed tranquilizers and put them in food. Then, of course, when poor old James was out of it, he tied him to the bed. So here's what he did to him. Torturing him almost constantly for approximately 27 hours. The torture included repeated administering of, and this, Sam, maybe you can tell me how much this is because I don't know. 7,700 volt electrical shocks. A lot. Is it? Oh, my God. But what do you think if someone did it to your testicles? Oh, they would explode. I mean, just saying. 27 hours of shocking the shoulders and the testicles for up to five minutes at a time each time. How did he survive? I know. That's a long time. Again, he also did the needles in the neck. Oh. And the genitals. Damn, he's getting sicker and sicker. Yeah, yeah. it's getting worse. So eventually, poor James got delirious, which, I mean, he had what do you even out. do at that point? I would think they pass out. I'm thinking he's pleading to just kill yeah. me. Yeah, I would just say, please give me more drugs and yeah, knock me yeah. out. Then you can shock just, the shit out of my balls right, all right. you want. Yeah, then you can eat them. But Bob continually continued to physically and sexually assault him as noted in his log, until James was unable to sit up more than 10 to 15 seconds at a time. The next entry in the log read, very delayed breathing, and then finally Bob noted that James Ferris died. Of course. Jesus Christ. Good. shot. That is some sick. And we're not even talking about the sexual stuff, really. I mean, but you, I mean you're imagining... At the, first of all, Bob is gay, so we know... Yeah why he's attracted to these men that he's bringing in. We know how he's sexually assaulting them. We don't have to. Right. <sighs> okay. Todd Stoops was 23 years old. He was a drug addict. Sometimes he was a prostitute. He ran into Bob on June 17th, 1986. I know. That was right after I graduated high school, y'all. Bob is a busy man. 
and Bobby knowing everybody. Like all y'all who grew Bob, up around Bobby here, Hello. all y'all that grew up around here in Gonzales. Like every time we go somewhere with our neighbors, who's actually your sister and brother-in-law, <laughs> every time we go somewhere with them, oh my God, they somebody know, they, they know, know yes everywhere. So Bob invited old Todd. Hey man, hadn't seen you in a while. Come on by the house. You can, I'll cook you some food. You can stay a bit. And Todd was like, Hey, I need $13 because I need to buy some drugs. And Bob was like, That's cool. Come over. We'll have sex and I'll give you $13, which is like $31 in today's money, literally. <laughs> so Bob later tells investigators that he was extremely physically attracted to Todd. And even before when he had known him, he was. Oh, so maybe he's going to take it easy. They had relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, he held him captive for two weeks. Oh, he liked Todd. <laughs> two weeks. He gradually increased the terror that Todd had. Of course, I can't even... I mean, he basically turned him into a sex slave. And Bob used, again, electrical shock. He even used um, sh- electrical shock to his eyes because he wanted to blind him. And he injected drain cleaner in his throat to try to silence the screaming from from Todd. But that would kill someone. I mean, drain, drain cleaner. You put some Drano in my throat. Yeah. Well, towards the end of the, the captivity, Bob was trying to feed him like soup, ice cream, he couldn't keep anything down. And we know this because Bob wrote all this shit yeah. in his journal. Yeah. Of course, Todd, poor Todd died on July 1st, 1986. Bob's yeah. about 37 years old at this point. Todd Stoops died and a forensic pathologist later testified that the ruptured anal wall caused septic shock, which proved to be fatal. And I had to look up what that was. It's a severe drop in blood pressure. And it results in a highly or abnormal problems with how your cells work and produce energy. He was, y'all, he basically killed him with his asshole. Yes. Mm, yes. Jesus. I know. That's horrible. In the spring of 1987, Bob became friendly with a 20-year-old named Larry Pearson. At least I can pronounce all the names in this story. They're easy. <laughs> Their casual friendship began when Larry entered his shop. You mean walked up to his booth at the flea market? Yeah. <laughs> and explained to Bob that as a child, he held an interest in both witchcraft and wizardry. And it just made me think of Harry Potter. Y'all don't watch Harry Potter, mm-hmm. do y'all? Mm-hmm. You're a wizard, Larry. They always say you're a wizard, Harry, in the <laughs> movie. Shortly after meeting, Larry Pearson temporarily lodged with Bob and willingly performed chores around the home as a means of paying rent. Yeah, me let him live a couple of days. Mm-hmm. According to Bob, he didn't initially intend to to be, you know, an asshole to this guy. But on June 23rd, it got the better of him, and he started drugging, plotting yeah. a plan. What can I do? Yeah, that evening, Bob ensured Larry was drunk, then injected him with the chlorpromazine thing I told you about before, yep. and I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. And he moved him down to the basement. So I guess Bob is learning now. If you drag him up the stairs and kill him, you got, got to drag him back down. down. So he took him to the basement. Bob tied him up and injected his larynx with drain cleaner again. He liked that, huh? Yeah. He then brought an electrical transformer to the basement. So he Jesus. Yeah. Bob later tells authorities 
Larry Pearson was by far the most cooperative of his six victims. On the fifth day of his captivity, having endured torture, he even broke hands, broke bones in Larry's hands. Yep. In, In addition to all the other shit I've already told you he's done, now he's breaking bones. So Bob told Larry he had earned his trust and his he continued to cooperate both sexually and with the physical abuse. He would reward him. Larry was like, I guess if I want to save my own life, I have to become more compliant. And as a reward, he moved him to the second floor. And then Bob told him that if he continued to cooperate, he would not to he he wouldn't give him he wouldn't inflict as much pain on him. I guess. I mean, I don't know. What do you even do? He's like six weeks into captivity now. Larry said he had trained himself to sleep without moving. And he didn't want to antagonize Bob and invite any kind of torture or being put back down in the basement. So around this time, in an act of despair, Larry bit the shit out of Bob's dick. Good job, Larry. I yeah. mean, I feel like that's he's a, the first one. Yeah, but maybe the other guys had gags in their mouth. Maybe he didn't maybe orally, so, you know. So. But because he's uh, in response to that, Bob killed Larry by beating his ass unconscious with a tree limb, then suffocating him with a bag. You bit my dick. Yeah, you're, you're dead. going down. You're dead. <laughs> yeah. Larry Pearson's body was later dismembered in the basement in his head. Good God. His head was initially stored in a plastic bag inside Bob's freezer before being buried in the backyard. Let's just take a breath for a second. Really? He can't make this shit. No. If I wrote a fiction book like this, people would be like, you've gone too far, Tammy. No way. This would never. Nobody would do that. Yeah. Electric shock to the balls, come on. Drain cleaner in the larynx, no. You've gone too far. Nobody's going to believe this. At 1 a.m. on March 29th, 1988. So Bob's about 39 at this point. Bob abducted his last victim. He actually kidnapped this guy. A 22-year-old male prostitute named Christopher Bryson, who he lured into his house upon the promise of payment for sex. Christopher was the, then subjected to similar methods of abuse and torture endured by previous victims. After several days, Bob said he started to trust Christopher and he would be willing to discuss aspects of the abuse and torture with Christopher. Like, you know, let's negotiate here. What I'm going to do to you. Yeah. yeah. Which treatment do you want? Yeah. So he told him there would be no negotiation pertaining to the sexual abuse but you know maybe i'll loosen up on some of the other bullshit but he said i've gotten this far before with other people and they're dead now because they made mistakes so don't make a mistake don't bite my dick right (laughs) i feel like that's what he was yeah i feel like that's probably what exactly he said to him i'm sure you bite my dick i will beat you to death you're dying (laughs) bye felicia (laughs) Bite it off, maybe he'll bleed to death. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) By the fourth day of capture, Christopher managed to break free of his restraints. Bob had left a book of matches in the room, and somehow this dude would, like, burn the matches to get the ropes off of him. Wow. Yeah. 
Christopher then managed to escape from the house by jumping from a second floor Thank God. window, wearing nothing but a dog collar around his neck. Go figure. And when he jumped out the second story window, he broke like a bone oh. in his foot. He's naked, oh, dog God. collar, a broken foot, probably bleeding out his ass, too, from you all this it. other shit. Yep. So he's outside in the world like this, and he finds somebody who's a meter reader, I guess like an electric oh, meter yeah. reader, and he starts shouting and calling to him, and of course, this dude, me, me I would get in my car and haul ass if a naked man was running at me. <laughs> but I would be scared. <laughs> this nice meter reader called the police for him, and he, so Christopher, of course, was like, Here's all the shit that happened to me. Here's the house. Here's the person. Blah, 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 blah. I can't even imagine hearing the story from a naked man, even if I was a cop and had seen everything. What they did was they put two officers to watch Bob's house from a distance. They took poor Christopher to the hospital. A, a, A cop went with him so that they could get a statement. Bob was arrested. They, oh, in the meantime, they're trying to get a search warrant for the house to kind of confirm all the stuff Christopher said. When Bob comes home, he's arrested on the sexual assault of Christopher, but he would not allow the cops inside of his house. So they had to get a search warrant. They should have been ready with a warrant. I know, girl. I mean, yes. I don't know how long it takes to I get mean, one. I mean, how much proof, you know? But, I mean, I, I guess cops have to stay impartial. But this poor naked man with a broken oh, foot. Oh, no, that was, yeah. That's some serious shit. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to, I don't know. Maybe he didn't want to tell him, like, he picked me up to pay me for sex. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. They get the search warrant. They go in the bedroom. They see everything Chris told them. The bed, the ropes, the alligator cl- nipple clamps, and there's probably pubic hair everywhere. Oh, I'm just God. imagining. In the basement. Ugh. Had to okay. have everything. So they start searching the whole house and the yard. Investigators uncovered a human skull inside of a closet. A partially decomposed human head in the backyard. Several human vertebrae scarred by both hacksaw and knife marks. They were, stor- they were stored in the hallway closet. <laughs> Several human teeth in two envelopes. They found a hacksaw and a miter saw that in the basement that had blood stains on it. It's like you don't wash and clean. (sighs) They found also in the saws pubic hairs. Oh, God. And flesh. Mm Mm-hmm. So, luminol test, y'all know what that is. If you mm-hmm. watch true crime, they spray that shit, yeah. they turn off the lights, and boom. Mm-hmm. So, the luminol test revealed that the floor of Bob's basement and two plastic trash barrels were extensively bloodstained. Blood. Yeah. What else did they find in the crazy man's house? 334 Polaroid pictures and 34 snapshot prints of various male individuals in various locations in the house and they showed both men who were alive and dead and many of the images had been taken during the torture not only did he document it he fucking took pictures yeah i mean did he think he was going to make a coffee book table it sounds a, like a coffee table book later yeah with this uh, shit on my memoir yeah <laughs> the search also uncovered numerous restraints sexual devices 
pornographic literature. I mean, so what? He has some gay magazines compared to all this other shit. Who yeah. gives a fuck about that? Hypodermic needles. What? A book on narcotics. At top of a chest of drawers in one bedroom, officers discovered a stenographer's pad containing the detailed torture logs that he had maintained. Oh, good. That's the main. Yep. Each victim and several newspaper clippings from the Kansas City Star uh, regarding the first guy I told you about, Jerry Howell, being missing. So he he saw that in the paper and he kept that shit. I mean, most of these other guys that he did this to, if I had to guess, probably had what the cops call the high-risk lifestyle. Where, yeah, and nobody was looking for Yeah. Nobody was looking for They always hit on people like that, that no one's really looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They also found the wallet and the driver's license that belonged to James Ferris. Shortly after the search concluded, Bob was informed of all these discoveries at his property. Then they made him, and good for the popo, pose for a series of nude photographs so that they could compare them to the Polaroid pictures. So oh, he was filming himself. Naked Bob was in doing selfies. Naked Bob was doing w- selfies with these guys. Well, I figured he was in the pictures. So the police are now like, "All right, Bob, you like being naked so much? Good. Get in this pose. Good. Stick it right up your ass. Yeah. Let me see if that's you." <laughs> I mean, at this point. They identified eventually everybody, but it took a while. They had to take some of the pictures and bring them to family members, and they would have to say. And then the teeth and skulls, some of the DNA, you know what I'm saying? So they did eventually, not immediately, but eventually identify all the people. Mm -hmm. Except for the first guy. I mean, they didn't have a body, really, or anything. But anywho, they had the journals. So, July 22nd, 1988, a grand jury formally indicted Robert Bob Berdella. Initially, he pleaded not guilty. How can you? Oh, and that was on September 13th, 1988. His, his um, defense attorney, he had two defense attorneys, and they even told him to plead not guilty. But he, he did. But ultimately... He came up with a plea bargain with the po- prosecutors to avoid the death penalty, which a lot of these guys do. I know that's kill sad. And it, at that point, yeah. if I'm caught, I'm just like, like Paul would have shot him. <laughs> fucking kill my ass yes. at that point if I'm caught. I don't. All right. So in the plea bargain, Bob had to agree to confess in graphic detail the people that he killed, what indignit- indignities he had done to each person. How he killed each one and what he did with each one's body. That was Good the only God. way they were going to let him not go to the death chamber. That was all written down. They yeah. Killed him. Exactly. <laughs> so these were, these confessions were given to prosecutors between December 13th and 15th, 1988. In return for his cooperation, of course, they agreed not to seek the death penalty. And he goes straight to the Missouri State Penitentiary. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. 2 p.m. on October 8th, 1992, Bob complained to prison staff of heart pains and was taken to a hospital in Columbia, Missouri, where he was pronounced dead from a heart attack at 43 years old. I'm sorry. Yay! Yay! Damn, he lasted too long. I I know. I really wanted the lawyer or the police to uh, take the journal and do some of those uh, same actions that he performed on those bodies on him. You know, 
the Bible does speak of an eye for an eye. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he got off too late. Yeah, he did. He should have had some balls fried. So here's what the generally yeah. Eat a bag of dicks. Yeah. <laughs> he already Bite did. that dick. He already did. On a, on a eat a bag of dicks scale, <laughs> Sam, from one to ten is just eat a, a few dicks. <laughs> ten being eat ten bags of dicks. He got, he got a twelve. Yeah. He got a twelve. So the judge, Alvin Randall, found out about Bob's death and sarcastically remarked, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy yes <laughs> and i believe that is the end of my story i may have some pictures i do so that's the story of robert bob berdella uh, in a flea market yo my god watch I your flea market yeah, dealers I'm never going to do not go home with them so here look y'all this is so i got this off of vintage news well the picture of him is not off of vintage news but the actual picture of his business card isn't that, I mean, it's kind of cool that you can find old stuff like that, but yeah. I feel like if he was still around. Oh God, he looks like he looks somebody you've seen in those years. He's got a yeah. 70s porn stash for yes. days. Yes. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Jesus. How in the hell did you come up with that? That's I know, Tammy. I know. I that's the worst I've ever heard on ID. And I love ID. So there's some, um, there's some stories that people have asked me to do. That are literally, I start doing the research, it's too bad for me to do. It's like, yeah. But before we do anything else, I got to tell y'all some stats real quick. We have reached over 10,000 downloads. What? Yes, girl. Yep. Yay to you. Well, my thing is, I attribute it all to the people who are listening, because that's part of the download count. And people, when I share it on Facebook, y'all, please out there, share it. Yeah. Share it to uh, your friends. Tell your friends about Grits with a Side of Murder. We have a website now, www.gritswithasideofmurder.com, and you can go there and listen to episodes. You can see pictures of some of our past crazy, I call it the crazy gallery cool. <laughs> page with that. Uh, also, I just signed up on a site called Buy Me a Coffee, and if you like the show, go buy me a coffee. You just go to buymeacoffee.com and look for Grits with a Side of Murder, and Heidi has contributed the very first buy me a coffee. So thank you to her. I guess I'm going to have to print that email out and frame it like your first dollar you yeah, earn. awesome. Because it's not really money, you know. Right, it's right. just the funds flying around yeah. in the air doing whatever they do. That's cool. Yeah. So um, thanks to Kudos everybody to out you. there. Thank you so much. We're, we're, I just feel like we're about to go leaps and bounds off this. So, yeah. But I keep needing hosts like y'all to help me because y'all are a big part of this for real i appreciate y'all so much i just gotta ask you one question ask me the last pod we did yeah we ended it with a story uh a naked man biting the ear off of an older guy that's right did you do any more oh no i that? forgot <laughs> I'm like, it left so much more. I needed to know. I wish you, I wish you would have texted me and reminded me. I'm so forgetful. No, you're, you're so busy. I'm so busy. I'm like, man, I got to find out what happened to that story. That was just so. I mean, <laughs> crazy. At least that naked man didn't have a dog collar on, right? All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that was pretty bad. Yeah, that right was there. pretty. Wow. That pretty man bad. was off the hinges. There's so many people. That's why we have to kind of laugh about it sometimes because it's super dark, but it's real stuff.
But if you don't laugh sometimes, you're going to get just inside your head and get freaked out. And Well, look, the other night, we just watched a movie, and it was called Unhinged with Russell Crowe. Did you, did you see it? I think that that sounds familiar. Oh, my God. He loses everything in that one day. You have to see that. Okay. Over road rage. Oh. You should see it. Did he go around killing people with a gun? Yeah. The whole day. Because the yes. girl honked the horn at him because he was yeah, stuck he, at a red light. Yeah. Did he, um, was he dressed like like a white um dress shirt with a black tie and horn rim glasses no no no, 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 no. that was michael one. douglas okay okay that's in traffic one. there you go yeah but this one is like we just watched it the other night unhinged on prime video okay and he has it starts off he goes to where he, you find out he's going through a divorce or been divorced because he busts in this house that's for sale and you could hear a man coming through so i think it's his ex-wife's house okay and anyway nails him and has a hammer in his other hand, Mm -mm. beats him to death. She comes screaming down the stairs, hollering at him. He beats her to death. No shit. He sets it on fire. That's the beginning of his day in the mid-morning, okay? Then his day just progressively. I got it. You hooked me right there with that. You got to see it. Gonna watch it. Girl, it's horrible. All right, y'all. This was awesome. I want to do this again with both y'all. Cool. Thank you. And we love y'all out there. And we'll let Zotico Mike take us out. Yeah.